Welcome to the Stockout. This is your show at Freightways for all things related to the consumer packaged goods industry, the CPG industry. I'm your host, Mike Bowden-Distel. I'm the head of Intermodal Solutions here at Freightwaves. Also do some work on the CPG industry and things that uh, some of those big shippers uh, care about. Uh, CPG companies, uh, as you may know, are a very important constituent for the freight transportation industry. They make up about one-fifth of all freight transportation. So if those types of topics are um, you know, interested, interested to, if you're interested in those topics, do a newsletter that comes out every Wednesday at two o'clock Eastern. We invite you to go to www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stock out and uh, sign up for that. Sort of put my pencil down at about uh, two o'clock Eastern time and send out, you know, what I have, try to weave in anything interested, related, interesting related to CPG supply chain. So a lot that has to do with um, the CPG suppliers, as well as the freight transportation markets, leveraging the data that we have in FreightWaves uh, Sonar. Another thing to bring to your attention before sort of going through this week's uh, CPG news is would invite you to uh, register for our vir- next virtual conference, which is Global Supply Chain Week that takes place February 20th through 24th. And there is one day uh, specifically dedicated to the CPG industry and food and beverage. That's going to be the third day or Wednesday, February 22nd. Some of the speakers we have lined up would include Tom Madrecki. He does the supply chain um, intelligence at the Consumer Brands Association, which represents a lot of the the big um, CPG companies. And um, our friend uh, Ben from Black Rifle, who I just talked to last week, you know, he's going to be on talking about the challenges of a very fast-growing supply chain that does a lot in direct-to-consumer as well as rolling out new um, you know, packaged uh, goods products. So I encourage you to you know, sign up for that, even though I know it's right on top of um, the consumer um, you know, a conference in New York, the, the CAGME conference, but um, would encourage you to do both of those things. Um, so with that, I'll move on to the first topic today, which is that grocers and CPG companies are at odds over retail prices, um, sort of what else is new, but I think some of those uh, differences have intensified here lately. This was the topic of my most recent FreightWaves newsletter, um, the stockout, which came out last Wednesday, and really sort of uh, stemmed from a couple of, of, of articles that came out. One from Wall Street Journal talked about that Whole Foods uh, did a virtual conference uh, with its suppliers and reported that they are asking for those suppliers to cut prices, uh, sort of interestingly, that um, you know Whole Foods' uh, supplier base is let's say, skewed towards the smaller um, you know, suppliers rather than the big you know, national CPG companies that a lot of like the Kroger's, Walmart's of the world are, are, are weighted towards. And I think a lot of those big traditional grocers have lost market share uh, you know, recently. So I um, would expect that to be a big topic of you know, discussion um, with analysts, uh, you know, questions. I uh, just saw an analyst question uh, the other day from when, when Mondelez reported, you know, Mondelez, the, the company that, that owns Oreo, Cliff Bar, among many other uh, sort of snacking brands. And, you know, they, they weren't on board with the, with the price increase, with price decreases uh, to, to retailers because they say that their prices are still going to be higher by double digits in 2023 over 2022 levels. Maybe they're a little bit of a unique case because they're not as uh, driven by a lot of the agriculture, you know, crops. You've seen things like wheat, you know, really come down in, in, t- in terms of the the futures price. Um, you know, can be like Mondelez would be using more things like palm oil, uh, you know, sort of things of that nature. Um, not necessarily the the, the crops. 
there that maybe you know more of Whole Foods uh, suppliers would actually see their price increases uh, de- decline. Um, and then you've also heard that from from other companies too, other CPG companies, which are really not on board with uh, what the the retailers are starting to expect with uh, pushing back harder on on, on prices. Uh, Conagra came out and said that they are, are, are the, 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 the most significant price increases are probably over, but still maybe seeing price increases at a slower rate. Unilever said something differently. They said maybe we're past peak inflation, but not past peak prices. So to me, that means kind of second derivative prices are rising at a slower pace, which is sort of good news, I guess, maybe not great news. Um, and then it was an interesting quote also from Nestle said that they still have some catching up to do in terms of prices, which um, sort of gets into kind of the, the con- context of the CPG pr- relationship between CPG prices and their um, you know, cost inputs over the past you know, year or so. We have a, a sonar chart on this on showing the CPI versus the PPI over the past uh, few years. And, and really what you see there is the consumer prices in white and the producer prices in, in blue. And you see, if you go back, let's say since the beginning of 2020 and, and certainly in 2020 into 2021, those prices that the producers paid increased faster than consumer prices. And certainly that was true of consumer packaged goods companies. And you see that uh, trend continuing into about the middle part of last year. So you really had this period of, let's call it two and a half years where the the margins um, you know, were really squeezed from a lot of these manufacturers, including a lot of food and, and beverage manufacturers, their costs increased faster than they could pass those costs on to through the retail channel. That trend started to reverse last year, uh, starting about the middle part of last year, some of the commodity prices came down, the retail prices are still high, and sort of throughout that period of prices you know, increasing, the CPG companies have had to go to the retailers multiple times, ask for you know pretty significant price increases, both in terms of more frequently than they would usually ask, and also for steeper than they they would usually ask. Um, was just uh, listening to the the Clorox analyst call, and they said that they've gone through now four rounds of price increases. They describe them as being sort of cost based price increases. Sort of clear that it, it's not because they just want. To have a higher margin, um, but I think uh, what's what's happened here lately is retailers looking at those uh, commodity prices coming down and doing basically kind of audits of the uh, costs that the CPG companies should be incurring, basically um, you know, requiring that the CPG companies uh, demonstrate that their costs are really rising as you know much as they as they have. I mean, the ingredients um, you know are something like you know half of the. Uh, cost of goods sold for a CPG company, but there's lots of lots of a lot, lot of other things that go into that uh, labor, uh, packaging, you know, freight transportation costs. You know, some of those things are still rising. Even some of the CPG companies are still called out in their fourth quarter that their transportation costs all in when you include fuel higher than they were uh, in, in in the year ago. So all those things are happening, uh, particularly from the traditional grocers, and the traditional grocers are getting more and more concerned that. They're losing share to the discounters. I think it's clear that the companies that have gained share in grocery would include the big box companies, the discounters, your whole, you're not your not Whole Foods, uh, you know, Walmart, Sam's Club, Costco, and including a lot of these private label heavy companies like Aldi's 
and Trader Joe's. Now they do have all these, you know, varying business models, but I think the commonality is there is they tr- they have some value based approach uh, either through through private label or purchasing in bulk. And maybe a sign of the times, Aldi was the fastest growing retail uh, grocery chain in the last uh, month, in the last year. So they opened 29 new stores in January and in 2022, opened up more new stores than any other outlet with about, um, I guess, about 49 new locations, although that was down from what they expected, which would have been 150. And then the second was Grocery Outlet, another one that you would think of as being kind of a discounter, uh, 28 uh, new units. And another... uh, point on that topic is that the the dollar stores are moving more heavily into grocery too. So your dollar generals, family dollar, they're expanding the refrigerated capacity that they have for more uh, grocery. So it's it's really, I think, a situation where the the, the retailers trying to limit, you know, prices, uh, price increases from the CPG companies uh, so they don't lose customers and uh, see those customer habits uh, change. So a lot to, to, to watch there. Um, with that, I'll move on to topic number two, move on to um, co- a couple of companies that reported last few days. Uh, Tyson reported today. Tyson shares are down following earnings. And this was a company, I uh, have a stock chart that shows quite a lot of volatility there the last few years, kind of, um, you know, kind of a yo-yo, but this was one that, you know, really was strong during the pandemic. You see all the way down from, from, from March of, of 20, sort of reached a, a, a nadir there, but went from about $50 to about $100 uh, from, from March 2020 to March of 2022 in the two-year time period. And since has retreated now to $60.81. And, uh, and uh, you know, when it, was at, when it was at its peak, the uh, government was saying, well, these meat companies are colluding, uh, keeping the prices too high. And I, and I think now you're seeing more kind of the market forces, which really came through in uh, Tyson's uh, results. Um, you know, they had a 68% decline in operating income year over year on a 3% increase in sales, both lower um, revenue and higher cost of goods sold in the beef and pork segments. Those tend to be the higher margin uh, segments. So it was a larger than expected, uh, uh, larger than expected U.S. beef and pork supplies uh, were, were reduced, uh, reduced the demand for chicken. So essentially, the company had expected there to be a shift from you know, beef to, to chicken with the sort of uh, consumers going to the, the lower cost you know, protein. Um, and, and really there, there was a larger than expected supply of beef and pork because of the drought in the Western US. So there was just more of those, um, you know, the, the ranchers brought more of the, the animals to market. Um, so a lot that sort of went wrong for Tyson in the quarter, um, sort of following some of those periods where they, they really sort of outperformed. They also said they had to cut chicken prices when um, you know demand was was short, so they were a little bit wrong on those market conditions. Also, I guess there were also some export restrictions due to the worst ever outbreak of the bird flu. I'm sure everyone's familiar with what's happened with the the egg prices, um, but that's also uh, reduced the ex- exports of, um, of of chicken because of those concerns, and and that impacts the price of, of chicken here. Uh, d- domestically, hopefully, consumers see um, you know lower prices there as as a result of that. They, Tyson also said some interesting things related to its supply chain. So they're streamlining certain ingredient suppliers um, across uh, dry blends and seasoning. They're also leveraging data to improve inventory 
visibility and mitigate the stress in its prepared food segments, which I guess is the area that there's been um, more issues in, ter- in terms of supply chain and then um, for doing further things in its distribution network to increase uh, direct shipments to customers, sort of um, basically by, you know, bypassing uh, distribution centers and also just doing a tremendous amount with automation. We've heard a lot about that from them. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, ever since they started to have issues having enough workers. So um, they're doing things like installing um, you know, automation for prepared food sandwiches and then they're snacking and operations. So I think that's part of a longer term trend in, um, in meat packing and in CPG uh, industry is, is more automation. Uh, so I'll move on from there to a company that's uh, uh, results were better than expectations. Uh, Clorox uh, had a nice um, you know, share balance on Friday, I believe it was the best performing uh, shares in the S&P on uh, Friday, up about, what was it, about you know, 9%. Uh, so Clorox's uh, supply chain is normalizing, which was, I think, the, the main um, you know, takeaway from, from there. have a stock chart there basically showing that it was kind of a, a, the pandemic round trip. Uh, stock went from $140 a share to $240 and then back to $140. And now we're here at $151 after the, the increase last week. But um, you know, essentially, Companies increased uh, prices quite quite a few times. They said there's fourth round of price price increases, and uh, their gross margins were up nicely, which is I think what surprised the market to the upside. Um, their gross margins were 320 basis points higher. Uh, you know, pricing combined with uh, the impact of cost savings, and they're expecting their gross margins to be up about 200 basis points for the full year. Now that's a reversal of the trend that they had been seeing the previous year. If, if you know, if I would have done this presentation at this time last year would have ta- been talking about how great Tyson's results were and how um, disappointing Clorox's results were, are seeing some lapping of the last year's results. Um, and I think some of that is just kind of an easy comp for um, you know Clorox, but they also are um, seeing some normalization in the supply chain, which I think is a, is a pretty big deal. The company was able to uh, raise their EPS guidance by three and a half percent at the midpoint of the range, they said they've increased the safety stocks um, in recent quarters, so having a little bit higher uh, inventory. But they say as that inventory, um, as the supply chain normalizes, they can draw down that inventory, reduce the safety stocks. They said the fourth quarter was the fourth straight quarter. They were able to reduce overall inventory levels. They said year over year, they were able to pull about four days of sales out of the inventory levels but are still dealing with some intermittent supply chain disruptions. And the, the segments they called out would, would be glad, you know, the, the garbage bags, I guess there's, there's some you know, component with the, the, the resins uh, that they use in there. And then Burt's Bees. So there's some, still some intermittent supply chain disruptions in those uh, segments, but on balance, um, their uh, supply chain is improving. I'll move on to the fourth topic here, which is uh, USDA to regulate sugar and other um, ingredients in school meals. So I think this was interesting and could impact any CPGs that sell into those markets. I guess what I didn't realize before seeing this article on Food Business News is that um, the USDA regulates uh, school lunches and it's not something that's done on a state level. I guess I would have thought that it was done on a state level, but they're adding uh, restrictions starting in the 2025-2026 school year, adding limits for sugar, uh, to be less than uh, 10% of calories for the meals for a particular week. And then there's some potential uh, changes to regulations on flavored versus unflavored milk. So this is still under consideration, but they may not allow flavored milk until either the fifth grade or eighth grade. 
So that could uh, change, um, you know, things for, um, you know, the milk producers. And then they, there's various things on both whole grain and sodium. They're saying that 80% of weekly grains need to be whole grain rich and the remaining items need to be enriched. Uh, sodium reduction, they're saying a 10% uh, reduction in sodium by the 2025-2026 school year. And then another step down, 10% reduction in sodium in the 2027-2028 school year. And sort of not surprisingly, the American Heart Association likes it, um, sort of to have these, these greater restrictions on unhealthy eating. Milk lobby doesn't like it, so they just have more choice there. Some other various food um, organizations, food lobbies don't like it. They make the argument that the healthiest uh, foods that children ever eat are the ones they have at the school lunches, and they eat you know less healthy at home. And these um, uh, regulations are therefore unnecessary. But um, it does seem like, and I've talked about this on, on previous uh, episodes of the Sackout, previous newsletters, that the USDA does seem to be taking a heavier-handed approach in terms of things like deciding, you know, what's healthy, you know, nutrition labels, all of these things. So it's just part of a really big push right now, I think, to get uh, Americans to eat healthier. I'll move on to the next topic. I always like to talk about the freight markets in addition to what's happening in CPG and try to relate those two things. So topic number five here Freight markets remain loose, and I think um, you know you could probably go through a hundred charts in uh, freight waves that that illustrate that. But I think that one of the highlights is the just the van outbound tender rejection index compared to the refrigerated outbound tender rejection index. So the van tender rejection index in white line there, the refrigerated tender rejection index in uh, green, and you just see how volatile that is. It's a five-year chart going back to 2018, and you know, starting in the middle of the pandemic, you saw that the reefer tender rejection rate as high as 50%, the van tender rejection rate as high as almost 30%. We are now at a van tender rejection rate of 3.5% and a, a refrigerated tender rejection rate of just over 5%. So shippers think about this as tender acceptance rates and over well over 90% of your tenders should be accepted right now if you're a shipper um, and if your carriers are uh, not accepting you know something in that nine, 90% range, mid to high 90% range, uh, you need to hold them accountable, find other shippers, change your routing guide, do something because you should be getting you know, good service, maybe with the exception of if you're, if you're running lanes that are really going into undesirable markets, that might be somewhat different, but really should not have a lot of loads falling through to the spot market, which was a, an issue that a lot of CPG companies had. Uh, during the pandemic, when those tender rejection rates, um, you know, were much higher uh, in sonar, would encourage any CPG companies to go in there and look at these uh, rejection rates and volume on a lane by lane basis to see, you know, how their uh, tender acceptance rates stack up with uh, the markets in their specific uh, lanes. Also, some interesting charts on van contract rates and intermodal contract rates. I'll shift over to the van contract rates first. So the, this is a seasonality chart. And so 2023 is the white line. And you see how that's declined. Uh, the van contract rates are down about 8% uh, year to date versus uh, last year. And um, you know, keep in mind, I mean, a lot of those contracts are, have not uh, been you know, repriced, rebid. A lot of those will be upcoming in, in the first you know, part of the year. So you've had a situation where uh, drive-in contract rates in green started to decline middle part of last year, you know, were declined sort of throughout last year, 
now carriers are seeing lower contract rates. So not only are um, you know the acceptance rates um, you know, very high, rejection rates low, uh, contract rates are falling. When we compare those contract rates to spot rates, still shows that contract rates have further to fall. We want to shift over to intermodal uh, for a, sec- a second. Uh, this is uh, intermodal contract rates and. You know, up until uh, a few days ago, this was kind of a boring chart because the intermodal contract rates in white for 2023 were kind of right on top of 2022. That's no longer the case. Those have sort of broken uh, downward. And, um, you know, this was not unexpected. Usually intermodal contract rates follow what happened in the prior year's peak season. If there was a, a significant peak season, intermodal contract rates tend to rise. Uh, the following year, if they if there was lack of a peak season, they tend to fall. Last year, there really was not a, a meaningful peak season at all, and we're seeing those rates start to fall. So, if you're um, a shipper, CPG industry or otherwise, it shows that you need to be more uh, aggressive on um, you know your contract rates. You know, looking at those things. Um, you know, maybe I'll talk a little bit about um, you know where those uh, that data comes from. That intermodal contract data, uh, it comes from a company that's processing you know, transactions. And so we see that on a day-to-day uh, you know, basis. Um, you know, we also have you know, various data that we're collecting from a lot of shippers um, you know, themselves. You know, we use that primarily for the look at, to look at spot rates where, um, you know, from, from shippers and, and brokers. So there's a, um, the, the spot rates that we have in Sonar that we use under the, what we call the market dashboard tool. We're getting those uh, from a consortium of brokers and 3PLs that provide us with uh, rates that they're seeing in the marketplace on a day-to-day basis. We aggregate them and uh, show you what the spot rate is on a day-to-day basis. You can go in and compare those to the contract rates on those specific lanes. And so if you're a CPG company that you're, you're wondering whether the prices that you're paying in the marketplace are in line with the market or you need to be more aggressive or sort of which lanes are you're, you're being you know, treated fairly, which, which lanes you have a higher you know, price on, you know, the sonar data, you can go in and see exactly how your lanes uh, stack up. There's also some CPG companies um, that we work with here at FreightWaves that'll provide us with all their, um, you know, sort of rates for a particular month on the dry van side of things, on the intermodal side of things, we actually go in and look at the rates that they're paying versus the rates that we're seeing in the marketplace and show them, okay, well, you know, overall, you're maybe a little bit above the market, but all that variance is driven by these few lanes, and it helps um, you know CPGs go in and uh, you know, and negotiate you know better rates at, at, at during upcoming um, you know RFPs and, and, and during their, their bid process. So, we encourage you to, to leverage all that data. If there's anything that um, you know I can help out with there, uh, feel free to reach out to me at m distal at uh, freightwaves.com. Uh, uh, so that's really what I wanted to go over today. Um, to talk a little bit about um, you know what I have uh, um, you know working on in uh, upcoming uh, you know editions of the stockout. Sort of just booked a um, you know time to talk with a company that's doing it's involved in the sugar industry called Dumatuk. They are an Israeli company that is involved in uh, providing a healthier sugar alternative. They have a product called Incredo Sugar. Which um, you know, high tech uh, way to deliver a smaller amount of sugar and have it taste like the full uh, you know amount of sugar. So the, there really should not be any compromise on taste. So I'm going to plan to have them on uh, the stock out in uh, the, the coming uh, week. 
I also have a company coming out called Hemper, which does various uh, paraphernalia re- re- related to the cannabis industry, various um, you know, things related to uh, smoking. That's also a very fast growing uh, market in the CPG industry. Going to have their CEO on uh, in the coming weeks. And uh, for anyone interested in uh, learning about the challenges that some of the uh, fast growing CPG companies face, including fast growing direct to consumer CPG companies, let you can go back and look at uh, last week's uh, the stockout episode had Ben Ritchie on from. Black Rifle Coffee Company, uh, which is kind of the sort of uh, alternative to Starbucks in a lot of ways. There's a lot, they do, come does a lot to support veterans. Uh, they, they have a, a product that they're really excited about that's, um, you know, packaged, you know, drink. can't remember the name of it. it was, you know, Vanilla Explosion or something like that. A lot of their products are kind of named after, um, you know, various military things. And, you know, that company expanding very quickly and talk, they, they've, you know, talked about how sort of their biz, bid process has changed now that they're much larger, need to source, you know, greater amounts of capacity, how they've used data in order to uh, to get that done. So I would encourage you to go back and look at, at those things. And, um, you know, we'll talk uh, next week on uh, probably follow more earnings and um, talk about the companies that are going to present either at our global supply chain week or are going to talk at uh, the consumer um, you know group uh, to the consumer group and in uh, New York in, in the coming weeks. So with that, hope everyone has a great Monday.